All right. Uh, for those of you here for the first time, like Ben said, uh, well done for uh, not slipping out during the two-minute break. Um, been there. Uh, stay with me if you can. I won't keep you long. Uh, I've got a lunch to get to, so I'll get a wriggle on. Um, I don't know what your experience is of church. Um, I see lots of familiar faces, so I get a, I've got a vague idea of what you know about it. Some of you, again, this was completely foreign to you this morning. Um, I grew up going to church. My parents took me along as a kid. Some of it was good. Most of it was a bit meh. And the rest was terrible. Uh, the terrible, I'd say, was around the feeling of you walk in, you feel like you're being told off, feel like you're being judged, feel like shame's being put on you. You're basically being told, stop it. Stop whatever it is you're doing because you shouldn't be doing it. And I got that for years and then eventually... I think I've realized that that doesn't actually speak to the fragility of the human existence when really what we actually need is a hug. I love a hug. They can be awkward, especially in church. But uh, when they're done well, I do really like a good, rugged hug. I don't plan to tell anyone off in the next few moments. I've done enough of that for the last 24 hours. I finished work last night at midnight. I normally come straight off, out of the office, straight into London Bridge, straight onto a train, and all being well, I'm in bed by half 12, I only live in New Cross Gate. It's like a six-minute train at that time of night. But Mr. Southern decided to forget what to do. He forgot what his job was, so I sat on the train on platform 13 for 20 minutes, experiencing something that I like to call whining and whining. Not whining and dining, whining and whining. People full of wine having a good wine. Last night's case in point were, was Shah and Kaylee. Shah and Kaylee were having a good chat, and Shah's like, Kaylee, I, I just don't get it. Like, I love him. I know he loves me. Like, no, no, no look, look at me. Look at me, Shah, when I'm talking to you. I love him, and I know he loves me. And Kaylee's like, I know, Shah, I know. Like, I know you do. And she's like, I just don't get it. Why aren't you going to text me back? It's been 10 minutes. And it's like, that for 20 minutes. Eventually, Mr. Southern remembered what his job was and we set off and I was home uh, later than usual but you know either way it's late right especially when you've got to get up and do this um, so I, I walk up the steps to the front door all is quiet all is still and I creep in I'm thinking right glass of water bang straight in head on pillow by one at this point and I'm like oh it is quiet it is dark I managed to get all the way to the bedroom open the door Hold on, where's Alice? Alice is my wife, for those of you who don't know. Oh, something is afoot. What is that? And then I hear Miles, who is uh, my two-year-old, second in line to the front behind his older brother, Eugene. And he's having a good old cry. And I know Alice is in there. And I'm like, oh. You know, you stand at those crossroads. Do I get involved? <laughs> Alice is very good. Mum's very good at bringing things back into order. All parents have been there. You will know exactly what I mean. Uh, anyway, I give it five minutes. I don't want to interrupt, you know. And it's still going. He's still having a good go. It's like a late night show from Miles. And I'm like, right, I'll go and get involved. So in I go. I head in. I'm like, do you need any help? Yeah. And it gets handed to me. <laughs> so yeah, you need a hand. The problem is he shares a brother with Eugene. And when one starts crying, you're like, what are you going to do? Because you're like... Eugene, loyal brother, he's always willing to be back in, back in vocals at this time of night and these late night shows. 
Anyway, Eugene's got involved. They're both, in, they're both up there having a good whale. We're all up there. And this is going, this is like half an hour. You put them down, you walk out. You think, oh, just let them sort themselves out and it's not going to work. You go back in anyway. It's now like half two. It's half two and Miles decides it's time to start laughing. And you're like, it's just a bit sick. Like, the kid's been wailing for two hours and now he's laughing. And the reason why he's laughing is because he's like, well, late night London, headline act. Mum's up. Dad's up, Eugene's up. It's a sellout show. He's, at, he's, he's absolutely made up. Anyway, this went on three o'clock, so I'm on about three hours sleep because obviously Eugene decides six o'clock. He, he thinks uh, lions are overrated, so I've been awake since six. Uh, that's about three hours sleep, and Miles comes trotting in, very proud, happy with his show from last night. Sellout show. Walks straight over to me and gives me this massive hug, and none of it matters anymore because... You get this hug off your kids. The same boy, Miles, he, um, as many of you will know, he's put us through some grief over the past couple of, well, since his whole of his existence. Um, but uh, <laughs> a couple of months ago, he, uh, we had a terrible Sunday morning, as many of you will know, where he, um, he basically aspirated. Right, something went into his lungs when he was having his breakfast, stopped breathing, and uh, we ended up 999, ambulance, paramedic, rush to Kings, all of that sort of stuff. And... Uh, took a couple of hours and they decided they were going to intubate him and so in went the tubes. They put him to sleep for a bit. Um, he slept then. Um, but uh, I can laugh about it now. Uh, takes the edge off as well, doesn't it? The emotion, like when you're throwing a few jokes. Um, but yeah, so he was in intensive care for the best part of a week. He came around. Um, Eugene wasn't allowed onto the ward, his older brother, until the following weekend. Bit by bit, you get promoted, demoted from the most serious ward. It's like the one time in your life where demotion's good, where you end up, fewer people are around your bed each day that I went into the hospital, fewer and fewer, and then you've then got your own room and everything else. Anyway, I took Eugene in on the Saturday. Miles had been, he'd come round by then. Um, he hadn't walked. He'd stayed on his bed basically all week. He refused to get off and just didn't feel up to doing anything. Eugene bowls in, his older brother, and he's like straight off the bed, wants straight over, gives him a massive hug. The power of hugs. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says this, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. I don't know where you go when the uh, proverbial hits the fan. I might end up in the pub. I like to go running, not necessarily anywhere in particular, but it helps me either process whatever it is that I'm going through or just not think about it and I just think about running and uh, nothing else and trying to not die on the London roads with my headphones in, stepping out. Mostly cyclists. I love you guys. Um, but when you read verses like this one, it turns out there is actually somewhere you can go, somewhere permanent that you can go. Uh, and underneath are some everlasting arms. I really love the imagery with that. It's like you're falling somewhere and you're caught by these everlasting arms. You know, you can run in. It's like, ah, oh, this massive, why well, picture this hug. Um, and it's that feeling, basically, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, it's, it's a feeling of these everlasting arms, basically, wrapping you up, wrapping you up and uh, holding you tight. One of the other names for Jesus, there's lots of names for Jesus in the Bible, but one of them is everlasting father. Is that word everlasting again? It's that permanence. It's forever that you're going to experience that with Jesus. Uh, you may think, you may have come in today and thought, I can't access that, though. Some of that went on earlier, that's a bit intense, that's not for me, like... Like you look into buildings like this, you see the smiley faces, you see everyone having a bit of a sing song and you're like, 
no, no, I've heard about that. I went to a church school. We had to do all this stuff, and no, that just didn't work for me. Um, but we're all a bit messed up, like we're in here as well, even though we put on these smiley faces and whatever else. I'm three hours sleep. I'm completely messed up. Like, um, but when you come in, what it turns out, it turns out that you're known when you come in. You come in here. It's not just a welcome from a person, which hopefully you did receive this morning, but you're actually known by these everlasting father you're actually known by someone before you even walked in so you can walk in you can bowl in boldly because you're loved because you're known and you think this is it you look around you're like this is church this is a very small part of what church actually is there are many other days in the week many other hours in the week where things go on and what church actually is for me and hopefully I trust for many of you goes actually beyond these couple of hours on a Sunday and is actually talking with someone, communing with other people, eating with them, and you you'd sit down with someone and you say, you know what, actually this isn't really working for me. And you say, okay, let's talk about it, let's pray about it, and you're supporting each other and you're lifting one another up. That's actual church community. That's what church actually looks like. On that Sunday morning at King's A&E, it was literally the worst day of my life. I've had a few bad ones over the years, but that was the worst one. Within the hour, someone turns up, Chris, who's my mate, and he's the ordinand here, turns up like no nothing like no doesn't want anything just comes and what does he do gives me a massive hug uh blags his way in <laughs> it's a good talk of chris they're quite protective of what goes on in hospitals but suddenly chris is there he's like a long lost cousin apparently um anyway but he had to be in there with those arms and he put his arms around me and he sat and he prayed and he gave me emotional intelligent conversation right you know the helpful stuff when you're in a crisis you know not comments like oh yeah tell me about it oh, uh, no 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 he just sat there and gave me another hug. Later that evening, someone else turned up, another friend. Another friend, uh, Ben, who's also the vicar here, turns up. First thing he does, gives me a hug, gives me some food, gives me some prayers, gives us a phone charger. Monday morning, Ben arrives at my house again, drops me at the hospital because the parking, they absolutely fleece you on the parking over at the hospital, so uh, Ben dropped me at the hospital. I walk into the hospital and another friend from this church, Tamsin, turns out Tamsin works across all the children's wards. As an occupational therapist, she arrives at Miles' uh, bedside with really good coffee and pastries. There's breakfast, there's church. Again, she turns up again on the Tuesday and what is it? She's got like a massive va voucher, loads of money for uh, M&S and then cost of vouchers, all from you lot cost of vouchers, a bit of cash for all the things you can't get in a king's, in the hospital Marxes, that's church that's those everlasting arms Miles, uh, Miles was discharged he was in there for eight days he was then discharged the following Monday we get home on the Tuesday starts 5pm, a meal rotor for a week, food and booze at 5 o'clock every single day for a week from people here, that's church that's what it's like, that's what those, what's underneath, those everlasting arms worked out through church, community. It's saying, you know what, we're struggling, I can't do this. And it's like, okay, say no more, we've got you. I hope that's your experience of church. If it's not, then it can be, when it's done properly. We heard a story a couple of weeks ago uh, from Chris when he spoke, he's uh, the story of uh, the father with the two sons, often called the prodigal son, or prodigal whatever um, story. You've got the older brother, which 
we know is the stop it guy. The guy that says stop it when you're in church. The one that says stop doing whatever it is you're doing. The judgy one. That's the older brother. But then you've got the younger brother who liked to party. Who liked to spend his wealth. His dad's wealth, I should say. Um, a bit too much. He returns home. Tells, tell between legs. And if that's one of my boys. Like that one there. If that's one of my boys bowling in at whatever hour after taking my credit card and going wild on it. It's going to be arms folded. Here we go then. This better be good. Tapping my foot. In he comes. Going to need a good explanation for this. Fortunately, I am not the father in the story. The father in the story actually is God. But the father in the story, what does he do? What does it actually say? He sees his son coming from far off. So he's come out. He sees his son coming. Fathers and landowners back then, they're all in dresses back then. And uh, half of you are probably expecting Ben to be wearing a dress today, but um, not here. Um, to be able to run in a dress, I imagine you have to lift it up a bit, hitch it up and run. Whereas you weren't allowed to bare your legs back then. We heard that a couple of weeks ago. So, but this, this father's like, you know what? No, I've got to get after him. I've got to get after him. So he sprints after him, arms around him, wraps his arms around him. There's another hug. Again, emotional abandon. He embraces his son. The son wants to restore everything he's lost. You know, he's got this whole restitution plan of how he wants to fix the situation, but the father's not having it. The father says, come, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. That ring that put on his finger, it's like a signet ring. It's like a family ring. You know, back then, they didn't sign contracts with pen and paper. You had a signet ring, and you put it in the wax, and you sealed the contract with that. He's put that on his finger, the family ring he's put on his son's finger to bring him back in to the family to be known again as his son sheer love brought him back in the son we're being told basically that this is God the father is God and no matter what no matter what we've done no matter what you're thinking right now about me about this situation here no matter you're loved you're known you're known by a father in heaven I was told a story about a hospital chaplain. This is my last story. I was told a story about a hospital chaplain and he, um, he'd go on to this ward, every, same ward every week, and there's this one particular patient. I was told to not do this by my wife, but he basically would go like this. The patient would go like this at the vicar as he walked past. <laughs> he'd, yeah, you saw what I did. And uh, he'd give him the two fingers every single time on the ward. And the priest is like, Morning, just keep going graciously, you know, as they do. And uh, just weeks and weeks of this. And then one day he comes past, and the guy's still there, he's, he's lying down in his bed. He's not uh, giving him the, the two fingers, and he actually calls the chaplain in, the vicar in, and he's like, All right, then, so you've got that collar on, like, tell me about it, tell me about all of this, like, what you believe, all this sort of stuff, why do you wear that, and all this. And the, the, the chaplain basically is like, Okay, so. Uh, like any good vicar, he basically just explains to him, like, you know, the fundamentals of the Christian faith, like, tells him about Jesus, tells him about grace, about forgiveness, about the love of God, you know, and how you can have this and how you, again, are known, you know, and uh, you can be in relationship with Jesus and how you can pray to him, you can talk to him, and the guy's like, all right, then, so how do you pray? And the priest's like, well, and he uses this quite helpful uh, demonstration. He jumps off his chair, he lines the chair up on the edge of the bed, and he sits on the bed, and he's like, you just 
you know, just imagine that Jesus is there in front of you and you're just talking to him and you're just, you know, and he's like, so what would you say? Uh, the priest asks the guy, like, what, what would you say? And he says, I probably sound quite scared. Um, the guy's like, seriously, I'm well. And he's like, okay, what else would you say? That's good, that's honest. What else would you say? And he'd say, I've probably messed up quite a lot of my life. And he's like, okay, well, that's just talking. He's like, anything else? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, all right. So he's like, just remember, like, you just, it's just like you're in conversation with someone. You can talk. And if you've got nothing to say, you can just sit in silence, just like you do when you're at home watching the telly with your mates or with your missus or whatever else. And he's like, all right, fine. Um, but just remember that you're known. Remember that he's just listening to you and that you can talk to him and all of this sort of stuff. And he goes on his way. And then he, um, sounds like a joke. This is actually true. Um, and then he uh, comes back, like, uh, the following week. And the bed's empty. There's no one there. So he goes to the staff nurse, who he'd obviously seen on the ward. And he said, oh, has, he, uh, has he been moved? And she said, no, he passed away, actually, um, a couple of days after you, uh, you were last here. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, that's sad. Um, she's like, the funny thing is, like, after you were last here for the next couple of days, he was just wouldn't stop talking about what you had been telling him, you know, talking about Jesus and, and how you can pray and how you can be in relationship with him and all of this sort of stuff. He was like, he was like really like, bubbly for the first time, you know, normally he's giving you the two fingers and actually it's just being really kind and, and really nice of us. And I goes, oh, that's really, that's really cool. That's really great. Like, really encouraging. Like, if you hear that, you'd be encouraged, right? And he's like, okay, thanks, thanks for the information, you know, thanks for the update. And, off he goes. And then the staff nurse said, hold on a sec. Probably shouldn't tell you this, but when he died, he, um, we came onto, he passed away on his own. And we came onto the bay, into his bay and he, um, he was perched on the edge of the bed and he was hugging the chair. He died hugging the chair and this chaplain, this priest just started crying. Like, he just started weeping because this guy had got it. This guy had got it. What me and many here you know, you, we spend years trying to figure out like what this is, this relationship with God. After like a five-minute conversation with a priest, it just explained the grace of God, explained what love is, explained that we're known. This guy got it, like, and he just rested on Jesus because that's what you can do. You can put your burden onto him and he will sustain you because he loves you. If you are... Uh, you can stand if you want. You can stay seated if you want. Um, whatever you feel comfortable doing. But we're going we're gonna to pray for a minute. Um, one of the great things about this is it's very quiet. And you don't get that much in life. I don't anyway. With a two and four year old. And we're able to just basically wait for a minute. and just Think about what we've heard. So let's do that.